And please turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and I will be reading verses 13 through 20, uh, 12 through 20. Chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. Hear the word of God. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. They said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him. For his hour had not yet come. Amen. Jesus declared that he is the light of the world. And that all who believe in him will have that light of life. They will have life-giving light. We, I noted last week that this expression is uh, a declaration of his divinity. We looked at 1 John, God is a light, and Jesus is saying he is the light of the world. But also, it is a reference to the purity and wisdom that flow from Christ. And it's a purity and wisdom that we can have in union with him. And throughout the Old Testament... When the Messiah came, this was the promise, that he would be a great light. We looked at several passages in Isaiah. One of them was Isaiah 9.2. I'll read that text for you now by way of reminder. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the, the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And the Pharisees who live in utter darkness, they refused the light. They did not want to come into the light lest their evil deeds might be exposed. So they begin with their accusations. After he makes this statement, they, they, they say, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. You, my friend, are a liar, is what they say to him. Note where Jesus is in verse 20. 
These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. There was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, and the court of the priests. In the court of the women is where the treasury was. And they had 13 shofar-shaped bins or receptacles or containers that people would put their offerings in. And uh, during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is when this is happening, that area would fill up with people. And part of their worship was offer their offerings visibly they would do it this is probably where jesus is standing where he sees the woman put in the mite all that she had so so people are coming to this area to fill it with offerings and they were uh, assigned for different reasons like a general fund and various other for various other efforts now at this point in uh the feast of uh as the feast was occurring it's ending, one of the things that they would do is they would light candles. And it was called the illumination of the temple. And uh, historians note that from afar off, they, they lit so many candles that you could see Jerusalem as a, basically like a, a city on a hill shining in bright light. The reason they would do this, which is uh, illustrative of what Jesus was, was, was saying to them earlier, that he is the light of the world, this light was meant to represent the pillar of fire that guided the people of Israel. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life, this life-giving light. And he may be making reference to the people, how they were protected, guided by the pillar of fire in the wilderness. And he uses the language of following him. So this is where this is going on. So there are uh, you know, places filled with people. Ceremonies are going on. They're wrapping up this feast and Jesus makes this pronouncement. And what the Pharisees have to say to Jesus is, uh, you're, you're, you bear witness of yourselves. Your testimony is not true. You have to note the importance of this, particularly now when it's happening. And this just open uh, 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 denial of Jesus' claim. The Pharisees, they are the most important and most influential religious and political leaders in Jerusalem. And it was prophesied that this is the way that they would treat the Messiah. In Psalm 109, David writes this. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are accusers. And that word in the Bible, accuser, that, that is one of the names for the devil. He is the accuser of the brethren. But I give myself the prayer. Thus, they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for 
my love. Jesus is not excluding anyone when he makes this statement. He's standing in, in, in this court filled with people, women, men, children. The Pharisees are there. They're listening, and he invites them. He invites all of them to come to him, to follow him. And they reject his offer, and they throw scorn at him, and they abuse him with their words. Now, this is the way that the world continues to treat Jesus. Do not get it confused. And even, uh, they even do this by changing who Jesus is. Right? They, they, they try to portray him in a way that is not faithful to what the Bible says. They'll portray Jesus as a good teacher. Right? He was a good teacher. He taught very good things. No, he says he is the son of God. He didn't say he was a good teacher. Yeah, he's a good teacher, but so much more, right? It's like uh, you're, you're at the grocery store, see one of your coworkers, and uh, the coworker, you know, bumps into you, and you're there with your wife or with your husband, and your coworker says, oh, who's this? And you say, oh, this is my friend. I mean, that's true, but that's not, that's not, uh, you're, if you don't get a talking to right there in that aisle, you will when you get in the car, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not enough. And the world is constantly uh, trying to change our perception of who Jesus is. But all of this is blasphemous. What it is, it's derision. And it's in return for his love that they do this. He came into the world, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who believe in him might be saved. And they refuse him. The Pharisees do it here. They do it publicly. But look at Je- Jesus now is going to make three uh, very powerful uh, arguments. And all of them are based upon revelation and faith. Um, we can't argue this way. This is, uh, Jesus has a divine prerogative. And the way, and oh, not just the way that he says these things, but what he means by these things, no other person could say. That's why these passages tend to be a little bit difficult for us to understand because they don't seem like, it doesn't seem like he is directly answering their question. But what he's doing them, he's giving them a class in Christology. He's revealing to them who he is. Listen to what he says in verse 14. Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. I can, um, if, if that is what I am doing, I can do it. And this word here, true, they use the same language. They say, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Some translations have the word valid there. That's, that's a good translation. It, they're saying that his claims are invalid. And he's saying, if I make a statement about myself, my statement is valid. Why, Jesus? Why? Because he has 
perfect self-awareness. That is the essence of his argument. He says, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. If you're, you're honest with yourself, when you read this or if you've read this in your Bible reading, you probably thought to yourself, I don't understand what he's saying here. Not, not that you don't understand that what he means is, I came from heaven and I'm going back to heaven. That, we know that's what he's saying. That's what, you don't know, you don't know I, I am the second person of the Trinity. And I was in eternity with my Father in heaven. And I have come into this world, become, uh, and, and, uh, by means of the incarnation, I am now standing here before you as a man. I will die, I will rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. We know that's what he's saying, but why is it that that truth is sufficient for him to bear witness by himself? Because he is not a man. You see, what they're doing with Jesus is they they think they're talking to some Jew who has pretensions of being the Messiah. And he said, you don't know where I'm from or where I'm going. You have no idea who is here, who's here talking to you. And in doing this, he is rebuking their unbelief. When, when, you, when Jesus addresses the Pharisees in this way, and generally it's the religious leaders that he has these kind of interactions with. Because if you think the woman at the well, he doesn't interact with her like that. He's very gentle with her. And he even tells her, I who speak to you am he. He doesn't do that with the Pharisees. He doesn't tell them that. He doesn't even do that with Nicodemus. His conversation with Nicodemus is a little harsher than it is with her. Because Nicodemus is a teacher. He should know. He's rebuking their unbelief. You do not know where I came from and where I am going. You do not know me. And of course, we, uh, you ask the question, why don't they know? Because God has chosen in his wisdom to leave them in their blindness. This is what Jesus is going to, uh, excuse me, John is going to quote Isaiah later in John chapter 12 and note this particular truth. And we think, oh man, that's harsh, it's difficult. Is that, um, you know, is God preventing people from under, what about free will and all of these, you know, all of these questions come to mind. Um, and uh, God hardens these people. It's just, it's, it's what John, Jesus, and the rest of the Bible teach. Now, verse 15. So, so first, he, his perfect self-awareness. And, and think about this confidence. Now, as, as a Christian person, we, as Christian people, we can say that we know where we are going. We can say that. But Jesus says it with such, con- it's just unwavering confidence. And you see it in the way that he lives in the way that he interacts with the religious leaders. He knew his hour was not yet. 
would that we had this kind of confidence. If you're not a Christian, you don't have this kind of assurance. You really don't know where you're going. But if you believe in Jesus, you can, you can have this kind of confidence. Verse 15. So th- first, his, his perfect self-awareness. Second, he judges in righteousness. L- listen, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, and you can add there, in that way. I judge no one in that way. I judge no one according to the flesh. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. They're, uh, again, they're looking at Jesus. They're looking at him as a man from, from, from Palestine. It's just a normal Jew. He's, 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 uh, we don't know where this guy was born. We don't even know who his father is. We, you know, this, this is a man of no reputation. He wasn't, he wasn't raised in our, 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 our context with us and he wasn't educated with us. They're evaluating him based upon worldly standards. They've got their own plumb line that they've set up and Jesus doesn't measure, but he's bringing this out. He's saying, that's not, uh, I judge no one. And judge no, the reason why I say judge no one in that way is because Jesus has already told us in this gospel that he will judge. He didn't come to judge in his first coming. He came to save men. Now, by virtue of him coming into the world, there was judgment because of who he was, the purity of his person, and the mission he came to accomplish. But in John 5.22, he says this, For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son. He will judge. He is the judge. In John 5.30, he says, I can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, he, his standard is not man's standard. Jesus judges as God would judge, with perfect righteousness. So first, Jesus has this perfect self-awareness of who he is, an awareness that the Pharisees do not have, so he can make these statements about himself. He knows who he is. Second, he does not judge by human standards. And if he does judge, his judgment and true, his judgment is true, for I am not alone, I am with the Father who sent me. Note something here that he continues to use in these passages, and it's this language of, of location. I know where I'm from, I know where I'm going. I know who I'm with, who sent me. This language of location, and what, what that language communicates is uh, the relations, the eternal relations. His relationship to heaven in eternity, his relationship, he's going back, and now his relationship with the Father. What he means by this language that, but I am with the Father, is that uh, I and the Father are one. We're united in our testimony. We need witnesses. Uh, Jesus doesn't need witnesses. He is the truth incarnate. 
Now verse 17. Verse 17. And now he goes to the law. So first, perfect self-awareness. Second, righteous judgment. This is why I can say this. My judgment is always righteous. Third, it is written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness of me. There are two who witness. This has come up already in the gospel, in the gospel of John several times. John the Baptist puts it this way. In John chapter three, after the conversation with Nicodemus, John the Baptist, if you remember, he's talking with his disciples. And they say, hey, you know, this guy that you baptize, he's baptizing more people than you are and everybody's going to him. And John says this, John 3.31. He who comes from above is above all. He has, a, right? he has this understanding of who Jesus is. He, he is the son of God. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. And he's talking about himself there. He's not talking about carnality or worldliness, but the, the testimony that I gave of him, it was a given to me by God. It is true. It is revelation but it's not like his testimony. It, it is far, far, uh, his testimony is far, far greater than my own. He who comes from above is above all, and what he has seen and heard, he testifies. John was never in that place. John was never in eternity past with the Father and the Spirit in perfect communion. So the things that he is saying and he's revealing, they're greater than anything I've ever said. And no one receives his testimony. That's staggering, right? Nobody believes what this guy is saying. It's like um, you, you pull up to uh, Walmart. You, you pull, I'm going to Walmart a lot this week in this sermon. But you go to Walmart, right? And there's a guy there and he's, uh, looks like a firefighter, right? Dressed all up like a firefighter, sit all over his face, and there's a car burning, and the firefighter says, uh, uh, you know, make a left-hand turn, you gotta get back out of here. And you disregard the firefighter. And then there's some guy who's got a cheap rent-a-cop suit on, and he says, hey, you can't come over here, and you turn around and listen to him. What would you say that? You're kind of dense, right? The firefighter's warning you. His, his, his testimony is, is more valid, more accurate. Not the best illustration of Jesus and John the Baptist's relationship, but in a pinch, you know what I'm talking about. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. No one receives his testimony, but those who do, what are they saying? That God is true. Why? Because God promised to send his son into the world. This is the message of the entire Old Testament, that one day the Messiah would come. So everybody who believes in the Messiah is giving their yes and amen to the promises of God. They're confirming that God is faithful and just and true. This is how the Father bears witness to the Son. He does it in the Old Testament scriptures. In John 5, Jesus picks up this same theme. John 5, beginning at verse 31. He says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. 
If I'm just doing it as a man, bearing testimony, that's not true. There is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. There's somebody else who's witnessing about me. And his testimony is true and it's valid. Who is that? Verse 33 of chapter 5. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from men. The one that he refers to in verse, 30, verse 32, I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. He's not talking about John there. There's somebody else who witnesses of him. Yet I do not, verse 34, yet I do not receive testimony from man. Ultimately, the reason why you should believe in me is not because of what John says. He is not the final verdict. You sent to him to find out who I am. You should have gone to someone else. But I say these things to you that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp. And you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Jesus' testimony, Jesus does not receive testimony from man. His testimony is not validated by the testimony of man. But, verse 36, I have a greater witness than John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, they bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. I have a witness. This lame man walks now. I turned water to wine. I'm, a, I'm going to heal a blind man. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to preach the gospel to the poor. I am going to be uh, glorified in your very presence. And everything that I say will come true. The works that he does are a witness. Because the Father gave them to him. Jesus' works validate his claim. Next, verse 37, he says, And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. So the works and my Father. How has, it, how has his Father testified? You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. He testified of me, but it's not that he communicated with you guys. He didn't show up, hey, I'm going to send my son. Listen to him. That's not how it happened. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. What's his point there? Why is he saying that? Because if they had the word of God abiding in them, they would know the testimony that God gave of his son in that word. So the father bears witness of Christ by his works and by his own word, in other words, the Old Testament. Jesus' testimony is validated by the Father's testimony in the Scriptures. His works testify of who he is. John's preaching does testify of who he is. John's baptism testifies of who he is. The Father spoke. The Scriptures themselves testify of who Jesus is. Verse 39. I'm still in John 5. You search the Scriptures, for you think in them you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may be saved. 
You see it very plainly there, right? So, yes, John bore witness, but he's not the final arbiter. The works that Jesus is doing, they testify of him. The Father testified of Jesus, particularly in the scriptures. So now, back to John chapter 8. Back to John chapter 8, and Jesus says this. John chapter 8. He says, verse 17, It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So it's not just me, it's my Father. And it's my Father in the sense that I've been telling you already. John has testified, John chapter 3. I have testified myself, John chapter 5. It's not like the Pharisees didn't know what was going on. They all knew what he was doing and what he was saying. It was public news. They are just continuing to hurl insults. You see how Jesus brings forward witnesses, right? And what is the purpose Why does Jesus keep doing this? Jesus wants to bring the Pharisees and all everybody who's there, and even us today, to a point of decision. Will you believe in me or will you reject me? That's what Jesus is doing. He's bringing this to a point. You have to make a decision. Will you receive what the Father has said about me? Will you receive my words or will you reject me? Will you use some other standard, some some man-made standard by which you're going to evaluate who I am and damn yourself to hell? What, what is absolutely amazing about all of this, if you, if you take a step back and <clears throat> you listen to what John says about this gospel, John says, um, in John chapter Uh, 20 verse 30 he says and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written the things that are in this book that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name if you take a step back and and, and you see what's going on here the things that are happening to Jesus are happening to him so that we might have life. What's happening to him? He is suffering and being rejected. Jesus was divine. And Jesus knew the will and the mind of God. But he was a man. And he came into the world to be the savior. And what happens when he's interacting with the people whom he was sent to? They are rejecting him. And that is part of his sufferings for us. 
that rejection and the ridicule that he is receiving, he does not deserve. We are the ones who ought to suffer and be rejected. Us, not Jesus. But he comes into the world and he bears that suffering and that rejection for no reason. Besides that, as it says in the Psalms, um, he was a man of sorrow, oh, in Isaiah, he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. God said that this would happen, that he might bear our sin. We personally cannot reach God, we cannot know him through religious and moral efforts. We can only reach God through Christ or in Christ. And the way that Christ makes himself available to us is by means of his sufferings. Apart from him coming into the world and suffer and be rejected in this way, exactly what's happening here, he could not be our savior. The Pharisees, seeing Jesus, seeing him, who is of infinite worth, to them he was infinitely worthless. They could care less. Yet he has a valid testimony, he has a valid witness, he is the truth itself, and everything he said and did was endorsed, it had its stamp and seal by God. But the problem was that everything he said and did was light. And he did not deserve to be rejected, but he had to be so that we might be accepted by God. So listen to this last insult. They say to him, where is your father? <clears throat> now, this, this insult may be attached to the fact that um, uh, Joseph was not his biological father. How much of that they knew, we're not certain. In any respects, it, it's just derogatory. You know, where's your dad? What are you talking about? You know, either saying he is insane or he is illegitimate, one or the other. Right? Because your father's not here now. What are you talking about? Your father's a witness. Or they're saying he's illegitimate. You don't even know who your father is. So what does Jesus say? Again, this is an issue of revelation and faith. That's what this argument really centers around. You neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And the discussion ends right there. The only way to know the father is through the son. The reason why the Pharisees are blind is because they refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And every person who refuses the Savior finds himself in the same position. 
Apart from believing in Christ, you remain in darkness. As I was saying earlier during the Lord's Supper, choose today whom you will worship. Will you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or will you continue to serve the devil? Christ offers himself to you this morning. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for this time together in worship. And we ask that you would um, grant us a faith in your son. In his name we pray. Amen.